This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Sivan, and it's time for your weekly wrap-up, and we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about this week, including wrapping up my New York City trip, Unilever dumping influencers with fake followers, the Supreme Court makes a big sales tax decision, Apple's going to repair their faulty keyboards, we'll compare Plex versus streaming services in the wake of my uh, voodoo and movies anywhere thing I did the other day. Linux is coming to Chromebooks, and uh, yes, we're going to have a brief talk about my hair because a couple of you were concerned about that, so let's get to it. And I want to begin by thanking our newest members here on the channel. They include Odroid Retro Arena, who's got some great resources for those of you on the Odroid platform looking to do some retro gaming. I also want to thank Justin Hughes and everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis, along with everyone who watches on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. Now, we don't have a sponsor this week, but we do have a non-ad, an affiliate link for a great utility that bailed me out of a lot of work the other day called... PDF Expert. This is a Mac-only app, unfortunately, at the moment. It does cost 60 bucks, but in my case, it actually saved me money because I would have had to spend a lot of time working on some PDFs that I needed to maybe reconstruct in another application. This is a really good way to edit PDFs along with adding annotations to them. And let me show you how it works. So here we've got a PDF file. This is a a thing I did up a little earlier. I'm just going to load it up with PDF Expert here, and you can see what it looks like when you load up the file. Now, I've got it right now in uh, annotation mode up top here, but if I switch over to edit, I can just start working on the document, almost like I'm working in its native application. So you can see I changed the name of the newsletter here. I think I can also move the text around here. It's got some nice guides here for aligning everything. Uh, They've also got some pretty cool image tools. So if I click on image here and select the picture, I have some options here. I can export this, replace it, crop it. Uh, So you have some basic functions here that you may want to get at occasionally, like getting an image pulled out of a high-res PDF, for example. But I'm going to replace this image real quick. I'm just going to run over to my uh, downloads folder here where I've got a photo uh, that somebody took a while ago when I was on the radio here. So make sure that's the right one. There it is. So I'm going to grab that. And it just drops it right in there, as you can see. It does have some issues if you've got, uh, you know, other uh, borders and stuff around the images. But if you have a PDF that has to get edited, uh, I found that this tool really is among the fastest and easiest that I have used. And once you save it, uh, it's a PDF that will open up just about anywhere. So that's PDF Expert. Definitely worth taking a look at at the affiliate link you can see on screen. So let's move on now to the Week in Review. And on the Extras channel, we unbox the Amazon Fire TV Cube. We're going to be working on that review all day today after the wrap-up is done. So that should be coming up hopefully tomorrow. I know a lot of you are eager to see that review. And then we also got a bag in from the Amazon Vine program for gaming laptops. And I did a mini review of that on the Extras channel as well. On the main channel, we had three videos this week, including... Uh, my, my video about Voodoo's Disc to Digital, which converts your old DVDs to digital movies on most of the major streaming services. And what's cool is that this works with movies anywhere, which we've talked about in the past. So 
once you do the disc to digital, it puts it on the Voodoo service, and then if Movies Anywhere has that movie in its library, it puts it on all the other services you have as well, including Amazon, Apple, and Google. And I really like it, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in the Q&A in a few minutes. We looked at the Technio Walmart 11.6-inch Chromebook. Uh, that one sometimes sells for as little as $99, so check out the review and then keep watching Walmart to see if the price ever drops on it again. Of course, right after I reviewed it, the price went back up to like $189 or something, but that's my lot in life, unfortunately. And I also went out to New York City on Thursday. I went to CE Week 2018 in the morning and the Pepcom Digital Experience Show in the evening, and these were great opportunities to meet a bunch of uh, established and emerging electronics brands in one place or two places in this instance. And I did another one of my little dispatches from the trip. And I go on these trips anyhow, even if I wasn't making a video, but I make a video so you can come along and see what I find as I'm roaming around these show floors. And I wish these dispatches would get a little more viewership because they're a lot of fun for me to make. It's often uh, nice to get out of the studio and go on a little adventure together. So if you haven't watched my dispatches, definitely check them out at the link down below. It's lon.tv slash dispatches. We have uh, my trip to CES back in January, along with my trip to Toy Fair. And I think there's one or two others in there from this year and a bunch from last year as well. So check them out and let me know what you thought of those. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. And this is week 68 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And uh, one of the things that I have been experimenting with probably over the last three weeks now is posting only three reviews plus the wrap-up a week. So that's a total of four videos a week. Uh, I used to do as many as six videos a week, but I think that overloads the subscriber base. And I was seeing in my statistics that uh, when I post a new video and the current one is still getting watched, uh, the, the current one ends up getting blown away by the new one that starts up uh, the next day. So I've been uh, monitoring that a little more closely just to make sure that I'm not overloading the subscriber base. And as a result, it's actually given me some room to uh, work on the business development a little bit and catching up on all the other things that I have to do to run this company as almost a single person operation here. We do have Corey who's been uh, doing a lot of good work for us too, but um, it has helped me and I think it's helping the quality of the videos that you're seeing. I'm not feeling as rushed as I used to when I was trying to crank out a lot. Uh, this week though might be the exception to that depending on how things go. We've got um, a sponsored post I'm working on on Friday that's going to knock out the weekend, but uh, we are getting in the new Asus laptop with the Qualcomm chip on it. It's running Windows. That's an ARM-based Windows device that a lot of you are excited about. So I want to get that one up as soon as possible. I want to get the Fire TV Cube up tomorrow if I can. Uh, and then I think there might be one or two other things coming in this week that I might want to really hustle to get up there. So this week might be a little different if uh, some really hot stuff comes in. But generally, on a normal week, I think I'm going to stick to this uh, three review plus the wrap-up strategy. And I just wanted to get your feedback on that. I don't want to overload you too much. Uh, the Extras channel is where I do a lot of overloading uh, just because that one is kind of running like my channel did years ago, which was really just focused on getting as much content up as possible that was searchable. Uh, so I'm doing minor products like the bags and the charging cables and stuff over there, uh, whereas this one is getting the more uh, AAA devices, if you will, uh, posted here. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that upload schedule. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye, and this article in Variety certainly did. Unilever is pressing their digital influencers to drop their bots and fake followers. 
Uh, so what's been happening over the years, of course, is that not only uh, are corrupt influencers taking money for uh, videos and other types of content and not disclosing the relationships they have with companies properly, uh, many are also buying fake followers. They're putting bots on to make it look like they're more active on platforms than they really are. Uh, and they are sometimes buying views on YouTube, for example, which is why YouTube measures everything based on watch time. And it looks like uh, some of these larger companies now are beginning to realize that just having a lot of followers doesn't actually equal the kind of engagement that they are looking for, especially when they're spending a lot of money to put their products on these influential uh, blogs and video channels and whatnot. I just wanted to show you some stuff here based on my own experience, because right now we're at about 186,000 subscribers, I believe, which is awesome, and I appreciate everyone who has subscribed and everyone who sticks around. And you can see, looking at my social blade graph here, uh, just that steady stream of growth over the last three years or so uh, in the subscriber count. And when I would show up at these shows back in 2015 and said I had 50,000 subscribers, they'd be like, oh, that's cool, very nice. And now when I show up and say I've got 186,000 subscribers at these little trade events, the marketing people perk up a lot more. Now, it's funny, though, when you look at the actual view count that I've been getting, uh, I'm about the same. I'm doing a little bit better on my watch time, but... Uh, generally, I'm getting about a million views a month and have been for uh, the last three and a half years or so. So even though I had fewer subscribers before, I was getting just as many views because I'm doing well on the YouTube search engine. I've talked about this before, but generally about 80% of my traffic comes from people who are looking for a specific product. They come to my video, get what they need, and they never come back again, and that's okay. Uh, so that drives a lot of the reviews that I do and why I tend to uh, focus on a single product in every video so that can be easily uh, searched and discovered. And a lot of you, thank you all, uh, do stick around and hit the subscribe button and want to get more content from me, which I greatly appreciate and value, which is why we do this wrap-up video every week to have a direct uh, conversation with the subscriber base. But this just gives you an idea of this. And really, uh, it's nice to see Unilever starting to notice that there's more to life than just your subscriber and view counts, which can be easily gamed. Uh, the actual engagement that you get from these videos is a little harder to measure, but YouTube certainly is doing that by putting the value on watch time above everything else that uh, you could possibly do on the platform. They want people to be watching your videos and not leaving YouTube, and they measure it based on how much attention you're able to hold of the viewers, and they reward you with higher search placement as a result. And I was so uh, excited a couple of years ago when I was just this tiny little channel and having some of my videos rank higher than the Wall Street Journal, for example, that has a whole crew doing stuff. And it's really nice that the platform is recognizing this. And I'm hoping more companies start to recognize this too because uh, you don't always have to go uh, with the 5 million uh, subscribed channel to get your product out there. You can very often do very well with a lot of smaller channels who are going to be more reasonably priced. I've talked to a lot of you know, pretty high-end uh, marketing people in some pretty big companies, and they are getting very frustrated with this influencer space. They've paid out a lot of money over the years, uh, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars for a single video, and they're not seeing the results. And 
Uh, they're getting much better results out of the smaller channels. Things are being done better. There's more collaboration between the two, and they're feeling like they're getting more money, uh, more value for their money from uh, looking at smaller creators versus larger ones. So I think there's a really good opportunity here, despite all the corruption out there, that if you do things right and ethically, uh, you're going to be very attractive to advertisers that are fed up with all the graft out there. And I think this is a, a start in that direction. And I hope other corporations uh, look at what Unilever is doing and follow suit. And this next story is a big one, especially if you buy things online, which I'm sure you do. Uh, the Supreme Court has essentially thrown out the notion that a company needs to have a physical presence in a state in order to be required to collect sales tax in that state. Uh, now it is essentially going to be changing to the state having anyone who ships things into that state uh, collect sales tax from their sales, and that is a big change. So all of these tax-free sites that you might be shopping on now will not be tax-free for long. The law has been uh, essentially thrown out and rewritten, and it will be rewritten in every one of the states in this union here. So expect to be paying sales tax very shortly when you make the purchase. We had a whole long discussion about use taxes and why you're supposed to voluntarily pay the tax if you're not having it collected by your retailer. But now it looks like uh, every retailer will be required to collect sales tax as states now uh, adjust their statutes to uh, this new Supreme Court decision. This was a close decision, five to four, but nonetheless, this is now the law of the land here in the United States. Now, I'm really interested to see, though, how international companies will fare in this, because if you've got a company like GearBest that doesn't charge sales tax, that's located in China, uh, there's no way for the state of Connecticut to compel them legally to start collecting tax. So we're still going to have these issues of use tax out there, but it might put companies like GearBest at a, an advantage over domestic companies because they don't have to collect sales tax. There's no way to get them to collect sales tax, but any company based in the U.S. will have to. So we'll see how all of this develops over time, but if you start seeing sales tax getting collected from your favorite retailer that wasn't collecting it before, it is undoubtedly the result of this Supreme Court decision. Now, if you've got a MacBook Pro or a MacBook with their new thin butterfly switch keyboard, uh, Apple is going to start repairing them because you likely have problems with your keyboard. I have two computers with that keyboard, my MacBook Pro and my MacBook, and both have been giving me problems. My MacBook Pro often has keys get stuck when a piece of dust gets in there. Uh, my spacebar was double spacing. Uh, oddly enough, these problems on my MacBook Pro have worked themselves out, so right now it's okay, but any day of the week when I turn it on, I sometimes have a stuck key or some kind of issue with it, and uh, my little MacBook has a broken shift key. If I hit the left side of the shift key, it doesn't work. I have to move my finger more to the center for it to work better, and that one also gets stuck keys occasionally and other issues with it, and it looks like Apple is finally acknowledging this problem, but they're not really indicating what they're going to do to repair it or if those repairs will result in a long-term fix, because if they just swap out a key or, what, or the keyboard, uh, is it a better design? Is something better about the keyboard now that won't have these problems continue? I'm not sure. And it's a big inconvenience, too, because the keyboards are kind of built into these things. They're not just a simple swap out. So oftentimes, you're without your computer for a week as they try to figure out what the problem is. But I got a kick out of the uh, Apple support note on this uh, recall, essentially, saying that a small percentage of keyboards in certain MacBook or MacBook Pro models exhibit one or more of the following behaviors. And 
I have two of them, and both of mine are having problems. I don't think it's a small percentage. I think it's all of them, uh, which will at some point either have a temporary or permanent problem. My MacBook Pro has had temporary problems. My MacBook has permanent problems, and I don't know what the long-term viability of these keyboards are, so my suggestion is, is to get it in and get it fixed. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers, and this first question comes in from Eric Bazinga. Uh, who had a great comment and kind of a representative comment of a number of others that I got on my disc-to-digital video that I talked about at the outset here. He said that as a Plex user, he expected me to consider this to be blasphemy. He does see some value in it, but uh, he thinks I'm still spending money I don't need to because I have all these movies on Plex if I just want to rip them over to it. And I completely agree with the fact that, yes, I have the movies, but in the case of the Voodoo Disc-to-Digital service, I don't have those DVDs in high definition, and I really want the HD. I want that 1080p movie, and I've got a 4K set, so if I'm watching some of these 480p movies, whether streaming or off of a DVD or a DVD rip, it doesn't look as good, and I think five bucks is a pretty reasonable price to pay to get the HD version of a film. Again, not pristine Blu-ray quality, but for some films, it's probably good enough uh, for usually what the cost of a rental is, which is a $5 up conversion. I also had some older Blu-ray movies that I was able to get onto all of my video services for $2. Probably less of a value for that for me or other Plex users because you can just easily pop it onto your Plex server. But I think there's, again, some value for that $5 upgrade from the old DVDs. And I really like the fact that I have movies that I bought 20 years ago that I want in high definition that I really don't have to pay full price for uh, to get that higher resolution. And I think that is something very unusual Uh, from the Motion Picture Association to do something so consumer-friendly. I can't even tell you how many times I've bought my Star Wars movies over the years and will continue to do so uh, to get the 4K quality that I'm looking for out of those classics now. And I wanted to show you a couple of things that uh, really got me excited about this service from the standpoint of consumers. So the movie Dave, which was on my list of videos that I converted the other day on that video, Uh, It was something that I bought back in probably 99 or 2000. It's one of my favorite movies, and uh, I like the film a lot, but I didn't really want to go out and buy the Blu-ray and spend uh, at a minimum here $13.89 for it new uh, or $8 and change plus tax and shipping used. And yes, I could probably find the Blu-ray at a thrift store or over at a tag sale or something like that, but the reality is I'm not going to get this movie in high definition legally Uh, for $5, but now I can because I've got the original disc that I had put money into uh, 20 years ago for probably about $20 and change. I don't have to spend another $14 uh, to get HD. I can just spend the 5 bucks and get it on all of my movie services, and it's not a big deal to me uh, to have things in multiple places. I can easily just switch out of the Plex app and go over to Google Play on my NVIDIA Shield, for example, or pop open my Apple TV's movie section there and have the film there, and I'll have a better quality of it than I would if I just ripped the one that I had. And there's also some argument here to be made for the fact that not every movie uh, needs to be in pristine quality and taking up 30 gigabytes on my hard drive. Dave is not a a cinematic masterpiece. It's a comedy with a very funny and well-written script. So those kinds of films, it's just not worth it to me from this, this standpoint of space and the repurchase to go ahead and do that, which is why I was so excited about this and why I think it's very valuable to consumers. Another value point, though, is with some of the extras that you get on these movies, 
Uh, so here, for example, is The Last Jedi on Google Play Movies, and they've got all of the extras, and there's a lot of them on that DVD Blu-ray set, uh, out there for you on a per-click basis. In fact, you can get at them quicker uh, on Google Play than you can on the actual disc or uh, having to go out and rip everything and then organize it inside of Plex, for example. So I've been watching the, uh, the uh, Jedi and the Director uh, documentary, and I'm probably going to check out a bunch of the other extras, and I'm going to probably look at those on Google Play just because it's easier to get at them. And because of the Movies Anywhere thing, when I bought the disc, I also got it there for free. Uh, but if I have an older film on Blu-ray that didn't have the coupon in the box, I can go for $2 and get all of those extras up there and save myself the trouble of having to rip everything uh, for going, you know, to get that extra content, for example. Uh, in the case of Blade Runner, I was able to get all of the extras on an edition of the movie that I never actually owned. I had an old version of Blade Runner. When I did the $5 upconvert to the HD version, it gave me a newer cut of the movie and I've got all these extras that I never had on the original. So there's some value here that you're going to realize from this, I think, especially for films that you just don't want to buy again at full price or even at a used price. I don't think it's that unreasonable to get a little more value extracted from an investment you made in some entertainment content from 20 years ago. And that's where I see the value of it. Uh, there are still films I'm going to buy on physical disc and rip onto my server. Uh, there are many others that I might look for in HD and maybe buy again if I really want the best possible quality. But some films, I'm just okay putting aside like that. And I do think there's a lot of value to consumers who've got huge collections of movies, even used ones they may have bought at Blockbuster as they were going out of business that they can now uh, enjoy in a higher resolution for a much lower price than having to buy the film all over again. Now, this next question came in from Donovan about my most recent Chromebook video on that one we had from Walmart. And I get this question all the time. And uh, there are ways to get Chromebooks to run Linux. It's not easy. There's a process that you can install called Crouton that can get everything up and running. But not every Chromebook and Chrome OS device works with it. But there's some good news on the horizon. Maybe not for that Walmart device in particular, but many other Chrome OS devices. And that is something called Christini which is going to be an officially supported way from Google to get Linux apps to run on Chromebooks. And it is going to be rolled out probably throughout the course of this year. At the time that I'm recording this, it supports four Chrome OS devices. Uh, the Asus Flip C101, which I actually have here, the newer iteration of their 10-inch Flip model, that apparently works with it. Uh, I have not yet been able to get it to work, but I think they may have changed something over the last couple of days that might have turned it off again. But I'm going to keep playing with it and try to get it to boot up on there. Uh, the HB Chromebox G2, which just came out, which we're hopefully going to get in this week, that one apparently supports it. The Google Pixel Book supports it. I think the Samsung Chromebook Plus is out there with support, and that new HP Detachable will support it as well. It looks like the heavy focus will be on the Intel-based Chromebooks, but a number of ARM-based Chromebooks will likely get support as well. So uh, if you want to get more information on this officially supported Linux uh, thing, head over to the link you see there. Uh, because it's in a container, it's going to be relatively secure from the rest of the operating system, and you'll be able to boot up your Linux apps, your Chrome OS stuff, and have your Android apps all working together, which is pretty cool. Uh, there's also a very helpful subreddit that I've been following now for the last couple of days. 
uh, over at this link here and you've got a lot of people experimenting with this feature trying to get new things to run uh, you're also able to get some information as to how to get it to work in the first place along with compatibility very active subreddit at least for people that are interested in this topic and I think this is going to be huge uh, for Chrome OS and it might actually start selling some higher end Chromebooks because a lot of times people are thinking what do you need an i7 and 8 gigs of RAM in a Chromebook for? Well, now maybe there's a good reason for having that much horsepower inside your Chromebook. So stay tuned. I think this is going to be very exciting for fans of Linux that want to get a Chromebook and uh, need a way to get all those applications to work. I think you're going to be getting those applications going very soon. And although this is certainly not a channel of high fashion, I've been getting some questions about my hair recently. So I figured I would just talk about what happened. So uh, since middle school, I've had a flat top essentially in some kind of configuration. And I'm very fortunate at my age, 41, to have my hair. So I'm very grateful for that. But it's very hard to manage my hair sometimes. And what's been happening with the flat top is that as I've been getting older, it's looking a little weird on the side. So I uh, went to my barber shop, the same place I've been going to since I was two years old, and they suggested maybe try to start combing it down uh, to keep it a little bit more under control. And that's been working pretty well because otherwise I'd have to go in like every two weeks to get my hair cut before things got totally out of whack. So uh, this is what I'm trying to mess around with a little bit. It's the first big change I've made in my hair since I was in seventh grade. And uh, it's going to take some time to get used to it, but I do appreciate everyone's concern. And if I can't get it to work, I'll just go back to the flat top and get my hair cut every two weeks. So uh, that's what happened with the hair in case you're wondering there. Uh, my Q&A for you this week is not about my hair, but uh, we're going to talk about Chromebooks and whether or not this Crostini officially supporting uh, Linux applications is something that might get you to buy a Chromebook where you may not have been considering to get one before. Uh, let me know what you think down in the comments below. And we've got a very interesting channel of the week this week. I found it because Lazy Game Reviews uh, actually linked it up, and it's a channel with a hard-to-pronounce name here, Akbakaku, I guess, maybe. Uh, but what he did the other night is um, built a Windows 98 PC from scratch with new inbox parts. He found a bunch of new old stock and constructed a PC uh, from that era with brand new parts from that period of time. Really cool stuff, and he's got a lot of neat things on his channel because in addition to some of this retro stuff, he's also good at fixing things. In fact, he had to change the capacitors out on a video card he was using in that build. So he's got some electronic skills as well. I haven't gone through all his stuff just yet, but that first video was certainly of interest, and I think I'm going to be spending some time uh, working my way down the rest of his videos there. He's only got 4,600 subscribers. I think another channel that is very underappreciated, so check it out. So this week, I've got so much stuff that is likely coming in. We'll be uh, trying to get to as much as we can uh, the Fire TV Cube is here. We're getting it all set up today, so I'll have a review of that hopefully tomorrow. Uh, we've got my home theater video coming up. I actually shot it and edited it, but the other videos were doing well enough that I figured I would push it off until uh, later this week. So you'll see my opinions of Dolby Atmos and upgrading to it with these speakers that I got from Klipsch that I bought, by the way, uh, with my own funds. And I also hope to get to my next Plex video, the sponsored video that we do every month. And all this talk about storing movies losslessly on our uh, server got me thinking about music and the fact that Plex supports lossless audio. And uh, surprisingly, your CD that you might have bought 25, 30 years ago sounds better than the streaming music you're going to get uh, from your favorite streaming provider because the CDs are essentially lossless audio. So we're going to look at ways to 
get your lossless audio converted into a format that you can play on Plex and then have that music get out to your devices losslessly as well. It should be a fun topic to explore. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. We also have my Plex relationship still going on there where you can make a, uh, basically make a Plex account with no credit card required and we'll get a small commission for that. Or you can uh, buy a Plex Pass. We'll get a commission for that too. Or gift a Plex Pass to somebody that you know and love. And of course, that will generate a commission for the channel. We have other ways to explore what I do. We've got the extras channel for mini reviews and unboxings and supplementary content. We have my podcast feed at lon.tv slash podcast. We'll have a new episode up next month, hopefully. Uh, lon.tv slash snippets are my uh, snippets that I pull out of this video and some of the other things that I do that are more search friendly. And we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams. And we're working on uh, bringing the live stream out as a regular thing. I'll probably do it maybe once or twice a month. We're generating some topics right now and coming up with a game plan as to how to execute it. So uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll have a schedule up for you on that. We have the bell that you can click to get notified whenever I do anything on this channel. So I do suggest you do that because being subscribed is no longer enough. And you can engage with me in a number of different ways. You can sign up on my email list, which is a very infrequent email list at lon.tv email. We'll probably use it a bit more when we start doing the live streams. We have the Facebook page at lon.tv Facebook. The Facebook group, which has almost 350 members in it now at lon.tv Facebook group, where you can interact with me and your fellow viewers. It's been a great addition to our repertoire here. And the store where I sell things that I have previously reviewed on the channel and I'm now getting rid of. So you can get like new stuff at a discount and you can get notified whenever I add things to the store by signing up for a different email list at the link you see there. So that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Thank you all, as usual, for your comments and suggestions and criticisms and everything else. All that stuff helps me grow the channel and make it better, so I greatly appreciate everything you're doing to help me out as I'm continuing down uh, this journey as a full-time independent content creator. So keep those comments coming, and we'll see you next week. Until next time, this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including gold-level supporters of the Black Eyed and Blues Music Hour podcast. Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv s.